0: You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent bi-weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number five. I'm your host, András Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Lavin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok!
1: Всем привет. hey this is
0: our first episode of 2016. Happy New Year, Happy New everyone. Year.
2: Happy New Year.
0: Did you have a good New Year's Eve, everybody?
2: Yeah. Mine was yeah. really good, thank you. Uh,
0: mine was the, the most boring ever, <laughs> <I> thank you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for asking.
2: Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. But there's always next year, uh, Anders, so, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, from this moment on. Um, Can only improve, right?
2: Party, party, party. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs>
0: Anyone gained weight? Oh yes, at
2: the, at all uh, this no, holiday just, season. We no, we just we just were fat all year round. It's like, <laughs> you, know. Uh, you, know you know the, the you joke work? about uh, about the Christmas present. Do you know what you get for Christmas? You get fat. This is yeah. what you get. You get uh, fat. <laughs> well, so, yeah, yeah I
1: gained two kilos. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, but you need that two kilos. No, I don't. To really. keep you warm. I should get rid of fifteen.
0: <laughs> 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 anyway. Any New Year resolutions? Probably.
1: No not for me no. no
2: I'm not a new year resolution person no.
1: i don't pr- I okay. don't make promises I can't uh, yeah, yeah indeed
2: yeah. I I'm, po- I'm with Pontus on that one yeah, yeah i
0: I don't want to be be hard on myself this is this is why my only new year resolution is not to make one
1: that's <laughs> um,
2: very that's very that's very true because we are very much uh, too too hard sometimes on ourselves m- anyway I am not joining uh, hundreds of thousands of people in the gym so that's uh, that's a good start I guess
0: oh yeah but uh still i think if someone joins a gym uh that's still one of the best ways to lose weight so um please people don't fall for for miracle diets and uh uh, lose weight in two days kind of uh, claims so watch out for those and uh, don't fall for them well we we haven't had too much feedback lately have we uh this 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 must be because of the holiday sure. season. Everyone was. I'm I'm quite surprised that people even got to listen to our show. So we didn't see too much of a drop in uh, in the number of listens. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah no. I, I personally, I have now around twenty hours of podcasting to listen to after the holidays. I, so I understand if people can't uh, listen as much, but still they listen to us, and that's good. Yeah, and at least they downloaded. <laughs>
2: We very much appreciate it, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, but um, we we are still on the move. So, um, people, if you have anything to ask, uh, if you have any suggestions, uh, recommendations as to whom to interview, what to look for, what websites to check out, please don't hesitate to contact us.
2: Yeah, and you can find us... Um, Uh, we've got our own website uh, which is theesp.eu and we're also on Facebook and we also have a Twitter account it's at espodcast underscore eu and of course you can email us uh, and the email address is info at theesp.eu
0: Yeah, we would love to hear from you so get in touch with us please Thank you let's see what we have lined up for today shall we what better way to start the show with than Yelena talking about a very important event taking place a long long time ago somewhere in Europe on this very day that is the 13th of January and then we're gonna take a look at a few European events to look forward to very exciting ones coming up here then we're moving on to talking about some scepticism-related stuff from across Europe. Uh, as you may have noticed, we're not covering news only, but uh, tend to deal also with important topics you might find interesting. Our first interview of today's show will be with Diana Barbosa, co-founder of the Portuguese sceptical organisation Concept and co-organizer of their skeptics in the pub events, as well as their annual conferences. Concept Con uh, is the name they're going by. After this first interview, Yanana will come forward once again with a logical fallacy we should all know more about. That is, this time, the persuasive definition fallacy. That will be followed by our second interview in which I am reporting again from Wikipedia Science Conference that I attended earlier this year representing guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia, an international project run by Susan Gerbic. And this time I talked to Dario Taraborelli. For those of you who don't know Um, he's a behavioral scientist and social computing researcher born in Italy and currently acting as head of research at the Wikimedia Foundation living in the west coast of the United States. We had a nice chat about problems with uh, finding original sources and managing groups of editors to do do the work. Then it'll be Pontus' turn to discuss certain things that are circulating in Europe and are really wrong. Then... Uh, there's going to be a very fun segment uh, again coming back. That's true or false, uh, presented by Yelana. And of course, as always, Yalana will have a nice quote for us to finish the show with. Hope you'll enjoy the show. This is going to be the first one in 2016. Let's get started. So, Yalana. Please tell us about an important event taking place on this day in history.
2: So, on January 13th, 14, 1404, the Act Against Multipliers was signed into law in in, in England. Basically, what that means, multiplication w- was a term that is, uh, was used to describe alchemy uh, that just meant making more of certain material uh, synthesis, really. Um, and so, you can take any material for example, gold or silver, and multiply it and make more of the same material. Yeah. And, of course, the powers that be were very, very concerned that such multiplication might involve uh, gold or silver and make other people uh, very rich <laughs> and uh, basically they were worried uh, that people who w- will be made rich will not be the people who, are, who were uh, in power at the time and they didn't want that to happen and so the act declared that none from henceforth should use to multiply gold or silver, silver or use the craft of multiplication and if any um, one does they incur the pain of felony Mm. um so yeah i mean the law obviously offered more protection to the powers that be uh the, the rules of the uh, country at the time and then the state and um the uh, prior to the act a popular scam was to alchemists or guess, to be entrusted with the wealth of some uh po- Wealthy, rich person, uh, rich merchant, looking to have their savings cloned. And lore had it that the Pope himself practiced alchemy using the technique to enrich the church. Um, And so, well, actually, um, chemistry at the time wasn't all scam and witchery in the Middle Ages. And um, the act itself survived until 1689, when Isaac Newton and Robert Boyle, considered to be fathers of modern chemistry, both became preoccupied with alchemical experimentation. And Boyle, in particular, petitioned to save his secret science and and, uh, to make it legitimate again. Um, And so he actually died, Boyle died just two years after the act was repealed, um, publishing in his lifetime over 40 books. So, yes, and that's what happened. The Act Against Multipliers. January 13th, 1404.
0: Oh, thanks for that, Yolanda. And let's see what's going on in Europe. So... Uh, One of the events that we hear the most about, especially uh, when we're listening to um, English-speaking podcasts and English-speaking communities uh, talking about skepticism, is the skeptics in the pub events. These are pretty big in English-speaking countries. Uh, There is a list of uh, certain chapters across the UK and North America on the Skeptic magazine's website. uh, There is a dedicated page for them. We're going to put that uh, link to the show notes of the show. Um, but let's see what other Skeptics in the Pub events are going on uh, across Europe that are not listed there. Uh, First of all, there is the Skeptics in the Pub in Madrid, Spain. Their next event is on the 16th of January at uh, 7pm, that's a Saturday, um, in the center of uh, Madrid, uh, in a club called Moe. And they're going to be talking about pseudoscience in the media uh, with a journalist who's been reporting on, on scientific uh, things, topics. That's something to, to, to look forward to in uh, Madrid. Uh, you'll find more information on the website of the one of the skeptical organizations of Spain, Skepticos.org.
1: Also on the 16th of January in Porto in Portugal uh, the Portuguese Skeptics concept will resume their Skeptic in the Pub events and this time they are going to discuss laboratory animals and this is prompted by a recent decision by TAP the Portuguese airline to stop transporting animals for laboratory use so uh, that sounds to be very interesting so please show up for that one
0: also in Portugal, organised by the Portuguese Community of Skeptics concept. The first of a new series of events uh, will take place on January 17th, that is a Sunday. And um, this series will be visits to certain places, museums and uh, other institutions uh, of interest to sceptics. This time it will be the Portuguese Printing Press Museum. Feel free to join them, but I would advise you to contact them first to let them know how many people they should be expecting.
1: Another Skeptics in the Pub event we want to mention is taking place here in Sweden, in Malmö, on the 23rd of January. This time, there will be a very special guest, uh, Jay Novella from The Skeptics' Guide to Universe, is here in Sweden and we he will join us for what we call An Evening with Jay Novella. Mm, sounds good. Yeah, I will be there and hopefully I will get him to say a few words into the microphone for this show as well.
0: Okay. You know, I, I, I hate you now. <laughs> oh, really? You need to have contacts. Yeah? <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few days after that, there will be a course uh, starting in Madrid on the 26th of January and uh, that is gonna be slightly different from uh, the the usual skeptical um, events because it is gonna be covering secularism. It's organized by Lithismo.org and uh, calm.es which is um, the club of the Friends of UNESCO in uh, Madrid. So it's a kind of a um, humanitarian organization and uh, They're going to be offering a Secularism 101 course of six events, uh, all free of charge, on a weekly basis, uh, starting in January on the 26th and finishing on the 1st of March. So um, if you're interested, uh, they are asking for registrations um, in advance. So uh, we're going to be posting the link to the show notes.
2: In April um, 2016, um, t- April 23rd, um, there will be a Rationalist International Conference in Tallinn, Estonia. Um, and the uh, bookings are open now on eventbrite.com. They also have a Facebook page. You can find them on Facebook um, just by typing Rationalist International Conference. Um, And it's a gathering of critical thinkers from across the globe as they promote themselves. Um, And it's the first international secularist event in a Baltic country, as I can confirm, because obviously I am from Baltic countries myself, and I have never heard of anything like that, and I'm really pleased that this event has taken place. Um... And uh, there'll be um, lots of different uh, speakers. They'll be discussing faith healers. Um, they'll be discussing blasphemy laws um, and free speech, uh, pseudoscience, religious fundamentalism, and much, many, many uh, other uh, interesting topics. Um, so check them out. And uh, the other thing uh, I wanted to quickly mention today is an event in Hamburg, Germany. That is going to happen on the um, May 5th, 6th, and 7th of 2016. Um, and it's a Skepcon. Um, so the website is www.skepcon.org. That's S-K-E-P-K-O-N. Um, there isn't much information on there at the moment, but they have had um, similar events in the past. A couple of years um, the event draws about 200 to 350 participants and uh, again it, it draws attention of all the different speakers and topics etc um, and i was wondering if i'll just give a shout to german skeptics out there if you uh, maybe would like to write to us or get in touch and give us a bit a bit more info about it and we, we can maybe um, expand on it, it uh, later on and closer to the time Uh, But at the moment, if you check their website for updates, it's skepcon.org.
0: It's always good to know about events like this in advance. So um, please keep them coming in. If other European skeptics you would like to promote any kind of event, uh, please don't hesitate to contact us. And... uh, don't forget to update your websites, please. We we are trying to look for uh, certain kinds of events, but it's very difficult when, when websites are not updated. So... If you could help us uh, with that, that would be uh, brilliant. And when promoting the Skeptics in the Pub event in any of the countries across Europe, especially when you're on Twitter, please use the hashtag SITP, that stands for Skeptics in the Pub. And uh, that will help others to find your events uh, on Twitter. And, of course, it it works on Facebook as well. So uh, please use these uh, very handy tools. So thank you very much um, to both of you for uh, covering the events uh, going on in Europe in the future. So for for the listeners, I'm hoping they're going to be able to attend one or two of these. Let's move on to a few topics that are very hot in Europe at the moment. Well, Christmas trees, right? Uh, By the time this show goes out, uh, most of the listeners will have thrown their Christmas trees away if they were real trees in the first place. I don't care about those ones coming in boxes just now. Uh, But I thought this topic might still be interesting to talk about. I recently came across a post on uh, one of the most prominent sceptical blogs in Hungary called Kutpiskalo. It translates um, as poking through the fog into English. Um, They examine the notion that... um, Come the new year, you should really not waste your Christmas tree by throwing it away, but make pine needle tea out of it instead that is, by many websites, claimed to contain four to five times the amount of vitamin C compared to that found in oranges and lemons. But does this claim really hold water? Well, there's a whole bunch of different blog posts on articles online about this also in English of course. Somehow I get the feeling that the idea really took off from a gardening website called Dave's Garden that referred to North American indigenous people having used pine needle tea to prevent scurvy or scorbutus um, has the name of the re, uh, substance Uh, ascorbic acid that acts as vitamin C. And this was also taken up by early explorers coming in contact with them. Now, that is widely accepted as fact, and we have no reason to doubt it, since there are lots of sources mentioning several coniferous species in that context. So, no real problem there. But of course, as it often happens, these claims have really escalated into some kind of a miracle cure idea. So... What can we cure with it, according to these sources? A whole range of conditions and diseases, from the common cold to the flu, or uh, some even go as far as to say cancer. But according to some bloggers, it definitely helps boost your immune system and is an important source of antioxidants. Yes, the role of antioxidants and this mindless craving for them could be another topic to discuss, but let's move on. There is a suspiciously titled site called medicinalfoodnews.com that lists all sorts of things that it can cure. But can it really? First of all, the claim that pine needles contain four to five times the amount of vitamin C compared to lemons and oranges. We'll just willfully ignore the usual sort of generalization with no regard to expected differences among certain coniferous species, but let's get to that later. There is a website with lots of nutrition information, including vitamin C levels, uh, that is nutritiondata.self.com, also cited by this Hungarian skeptic blog I mentioned. According to those charts, on average, there is about 71 milligrams of ascorbic acid in 100 grams of raw oranges with peel. That almost covers the recommended daily intake for adults, that is 75 milligrams for women. And 90 milligrams for men, according to the NIH, the US National Institutes of Health Office of Dietary Support. What about pine needles? There is only one study available with regard uh, to ascorbic acid contents, and that is an article in the US Department of Agriculture's uh, Forest Service Research from December 1969 evaluating seasonal changes in ascorbic acid levels in eastern white pine, that is Pinus trobus. And they found the species needles, those are the leaves of the trees, of course, uh, to contain a range of 70 to 190 milligrams of ascorbic acid in them per 100 grams. So, hooray, um, it really contains more. Um, Yeah, but it's still far from four to five times compared to oranges right uh, it's about the same amount and to get 190 milligrams you have to wait for it to dry out and uh, there is one other significant drawback um, to mention. eastern white pine is native to north america and is not really used as christmas tree and definitely not in europe so those charts are totally irrelevant to european consumers there are eight to ten species um, native to different parts of europe that are widely used for that purpose and unfortunately there are no available vitamin c charts in relation to those species at least none that i've found there is one other thing though according to some sources spf species that stands for spruce pine and fir as they refer to this group of coniferous species in the lumber industry Um, can be mildly toxic due to different sorts of resins, oils and mycotoxins on the surface of needles and in the needles uh, themselves. There are reported cases of mouth and stomach irritations, resulting in excessive drooling and vomiting. Even gastrointestinal obstruction and puncture are mentioned. Well, we should be sceptical, of course, but due to the nature of these materials, it sounds plausible. Um, The New Zealand Tree Crops Association is widely referenced, but I couldn't find any original material on that site claiming anything about this. What i found, though, uh, with a quick search, is two articles in PubMed mentioning severe effects of ponderosa pine on animals. One in the Cornell Veterinarian from 1979 that found heat-stable toxins in the needles that had an embryocidal effect in mice and the other one from 1996 in uh, veterinary pathology that showed abortion and toxicosis in cattle after consuming ponderosa pine needles. Uh, There are also other published, peer-reviewed articles discussing this um, uh, as well. I'm just uh, mentioning these two. But whether it is restricted to that particular pine species that is native to America is not clear. And other species may contain similar toxins, of course. So, to conclude, there is no evidence that pine needles contain more vitamin C than oranges and lemons. In fact, we have no idea how much different species contain of it. But what we do know is that there are known species of pine with needles potentially causing serious problems due to toxicity. And there is one more thing. While with eating a whole orange, you're probably good for the day in terms of vitamin C intake. You definitely won't get there with a couple needles thrown into boiling water. But what you might get instead is some nasty heat-stable toxins released into the water that, that you're consuming. Uh, We do not know that for sure, but why risk it when there's no real gain anyway? All things considered, it is probably not such a good idea to consume pine needle tea. So yeah, if you haven't done so already, just go on and throw away your Christmas tree. Um, Or if you have a fireplace, it produces heat very effectively.
1: The Swedish Skeptics has recently uh, announced their uh, awards for 2015. They have two awards, one called the Enlightener of the Year, which was given to a radio show on the Swedish Broadcasting Channel number three uh, for a uh, radio program called The Institute, uh, which gets the prize for having uh, had a very humorous and interesting show about science for the last five years. Unfortunately, they are now closing the show, but uh, Swedish skeptics hope that they will have inspired future uh, shows in the same uh, area. The Deceiver of the Year Anti award is also going to the Swedish public radio for another show called Calibre they get this doubtful honour for a show where they suggested that vaccination against HPV, the human papillomavirus, carries serious risks. Yeah, uh, so um,
0: is there an award ceremony? And if there is, uh, are the actual
1: um, awardees invited to that ceremony? Yes, that's the case. We uh, On the yearly meeting for the Skeptic Organisation, uh, the Enlightener of the Year... Uh, always show up to receive the prize. The Deceiver of the Year, however, has never showed up, but they are very welcome if they want to come.
0: <laughs> I wonder why mm. that is.
2: Yeah, I'm so surprised. <laughs> uh,
0: by the way, uh, Deceiver of the Year, I'm assuming this is this is something that, that you translated into mm-hmm. English. But if it's really that harsh uh, in Swedish... Have you ever encountered any kind of uh, uh, legal problems with that? No,
1: not really. Phrasing it like no, that, No, not really. No? But but the, there is a translation problem because the the term förvillare is is really hard to translate straight to 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 English. It's not that hard in in Swedish, but there is no really good uh, translation. Uh, okay.
0: Okay. Okay. But is it is it still still a um, um, a, a tough one in um, in Swedish or it's very negative? But it's March, not it's March, not March so libelous. Okay. I think.
1: Okay. It's not libelous.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. It's it all depends. I I would assume also on on what the legal system is uh, in your country. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> um guys, um, do you know what the European Medicines Agency is or EMA? <laughs> Not sure, no. Well, it's it's an agency within the European Union uh, for the evaluation of medicinal products. Well, it really came into being in 1995. Uh, Later on, it got renamed. It's very similar to the U.S.'s Food and Drug Administration. But, of course, it doesn't have that much power over uh, regulations as the FDA does in the U.S., but still, the the main focus of it is um, working alongside, but in a way to harmonize uh, medicinal regulatory bodies uh, w- within the European Union. And uh, it just got a new executive director uh, named Guido Razi, and uh, he um, used to be the director-general of the Italian Medicines Agency. He's Professor Guido and uh, he assumed office in November uh, 2015. But the reason for me mentioning his name and um, the, the fact that he took office is uh, that there was a press conference after his um, inauguration, and uh, at that very press conference he said a very important thing. He expressed the commitment of the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, to transparency in uh, regulations. I'm quoting, we have a pioneering approach to transparency. We are the first regulator in the world to allow researchers and academics and the public as a whole Access to the clinical data on which marketing authorizations are based. Uh, but uh, there is another thing. Uh, among the five very important guidelines uh, mentioned by him, one was the best use of all available evidence. Mm. So he said, in Europe, with a population of over 500 million citizens, the opportunities to study the impact of medicines in real life and monitor their safety and efficacy are enormous. Integrating all available data enables real-time monitoring of the safety and efficacy of medicines. So this seems to be a very tough kind of approach to what a regulatory body, such as the EMA, um, should should follow. This made me very happy, uh, but not just me. Um, it was mentioned on a, a very important website. It's the All Trials uh, Campaign's website, and um they were very they they were expressing how happy they were about this statement as well. Uh, of course, why that is is because uh, they are campaigning for the transparency in uh, regulations um in th- in the sense that uh, pharmaceutical companies when they test their medicinal products, they should file their clinical trials in advance so that th- there can, not be situations in which um, certain results are left out of the overall evaluation of a medicinal product. So this is what they're campaigning for they have been working on this for a while it's it's UK based mainly but uh, they are emerging on an european level and recently they started their campaign in the US so uh now that's their main focus because the FDA needs some kind of push as well So the EMA is something to to watch in the in the coming months and and years Executive Director Guido Razi uh, will be in office for five years. So um, he outlined a project, a program, for the next five years until 2020. So this is something that we have to watch closely. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to all European skeptics um, who who deal with uh, health and medicine-related topics. Now that I mentioned all trials... Uh, let me just briefly mention uh, the the organization, the charitable organization behind this campaign. Of course, uh, they're not running it on their own. Uh, of course, one of the greatest names is uh, Ben Goldacre uh, in the UK, uh, who is behind the campaign. But there is another campaign of the same organization, Sense About Science, and that campaign is called Ask for Evidence. And uh, they're running a system, a program, uh with uh, lots of experts being involved and people can actually uh write to them. I think Yelena has already mentioned this campaign on one of the previous shows. So this is this is just amazing what they've uh done uh, since since it started. In twenty fifteen five hundred and twenty one people used askforevidence.org and the tool that that's on the website uh to ask organizations and people selling products um and uh, claiming different things that's a very important uh, tool and they have several kinds of material that need to be translated into other languages as well Uh, when we were at the european skeptics congress in london chris peters who is uh, a prominent figure within the organization sense about science he gave a talk on ask for evidence campaign And uh, that was the first time we heard him mention the leaflets and other kinds of uh, informational material that that would be very nice to be translated into other languages. So if you are interested, uh, um, contact them directly or if you write to us, uh, we can direct you to uh, the right people with a Sense About Science and the Ask for Evidence campaign as well. Let us try and uh, make that somewhat international, uh, if possible. So I think it's about time to move on to our interview. On every episode, we interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. This time, we have here with us Diana Barbosa, skeptical activist, co-founder of the Portuguese skeptic organization Comcept, and co-organizer of several skeptical events in Lisbon and Porto. Diana, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure.
0: First of all, Let us thank you for promoting um, the show so fiercely (laughs) in the last couple of weeks. Uh, We really appreciate that. Yeah, no,
3: very nicely. Thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. You're welcome. Uh, It's it's a great show and it's a great project to build a bridge between skeptics in different European countries. It was much needed and it's very well appreciated.
0: Oh, nicely put. Thank Thank you. you. Well, are you um, an ardent podcast listener yourself? Are you listening to many podcasts?
3: I've started to listen in the last couple of years. Um, I don't listen to many because I don't have much, much time, but about three or four, I listen to Skeptics with a K. That's my big favorite, mm-hmm. I have to say. <laughs> oh yeah. So that one I always listen to every episode. I've been following it for a couple of years. And then it depends on the time I have. Now I listen to the ESP. I also Mm -hmm. like very much the Infinite Monkey Cage. Mm -hmm. It's not just skepticism, but it's uh, science communication, which is uh, something I really, really like. And sometimes the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe and other podcasts that I listen now and then.
0: All right. Is, is is podcasting a big thing in Portugal?
3: I don't really think so. Uh, many of my friends do listen to, to many podcasts, especially in the skeptical community, the, the people that we hang with. Uh, but I don't really know many Portuguese podcasts, but maybe it's me. Well, most of the radio programs have a, a podcast version, but... Um, I only know of another one. It's a a podcast from a science center that they produce regularly. But maybe it's just my ignorance. I'm Mm. not really sure.
0: Okay. And uh, what's what's your background?
3: Well, I'm I'm trained in biology and I did research in animal behavior and evolution on species recognition, working How with awesome.
1: scientists with lizards.
3: Well, I used to be, yes. Well, I, I still consider myself a scientist, but I don't do research anymore for the last five years or so. I've been working on science communication and informal education and uh, educational resources. Uh, digital educational resources have been my, my main working activity on, on the last four years. I worked on a, on a project that um, published... Uh, digital educational resources for science classes so this has been my my main activity education and science communication and popularization of science in in the last few years and it's really a passion of mine i really like it
2: and it's and it's much definitely much needed because um very often people who go into science and become prominent scientists themselves um not that great in communicating the science to the general public yes. and, and quite a lot of general public is, is a bit sort of scared of science because they think it's too complicated to understand and, and you know who's going to use it anyway and whatever but it's, it's not right and, and people should know about, various, you know, the, about the, way, the ways that the world works and, and it's just the most wonderful thing and science is awesome and I think everybody should be able to get to that understanding and to that point Yeah, yeah, I
3: totally agree. And it's it's a big challenge. And I see it sort of as a translation work, you have to translate, apparently big, complicated stuff into simple language, without losing the content that you want to to transmit to, to the people that are listening to you or reading what you what you write. And it's a challenge I really, really very much enjoy. Uh, it started a bit serendipitously because I was ending my, my, my PhD, uh, my scholarship, and I started to work with groups of children doing environmental activities. Mm. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I think I found my place in the science world there. Awesome. Because I really, really like to do that sort of thing and to write and to and to speak with different audiences. And it's a challenge, but it's a, a welcome challenge.
0: I think uh, everyone who's, who's been there and has done some of that stuff shares your enthusiasm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, is this how you got involved with the skepticism itself?
3: Yeah, in, in a sense it was. Uh, I can't put a date on it when I started to think myself as a skeptic, uh, but... I was a sceptic already for, for many years uh, in regards to many subjects. Uh, but it was when I returned to Portugal, I, I did most of my research in Spain. And when I returned to Portugal in 2010, 2011, uh, I started meeting other people that were on the science communication uh, field. And many of those were writing uh, on blogs and in interacting with uh, commenters in blogs mainly, Um, I think I found skepticisms because I found other people that were fighting the same fight, right? Defending science, trying to explain misconceptions, uh, dealing with creationists, pseudoscience defenders, uh, alternative medicine defenders. And we started uh, meeting each other and um, sharing resources and uh, the podcasts that people listen, and the pages that we read and the, the sources that we look for 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 reliable information and I think that 's sort of when I realized I could consider myself a skeptic and I discovered the, skept- the scientific skeptical movement
0: uh, you 're the co founder of uh, concept, which is the the skeptic organization of uh, yeah. of Portugal. Um, so, when when did you uh, launch the organization, and uh, how is it doing now?
3: So, we started in April two thousand twelve. That's the, the official date when we launched the website. So, we started in a very very informal way. Uh, me and two other friends, Leonora Brant and João Monteiro, the three of us got this idea to to launch a website uh, focused on skepticism. Mm. And that was the the first thing we did. And so we weren't a a formal organization, an association or or charity. We just launched the website and started promoting meetings, sort of like Skeptics in the Pub meetings. Uh, We call it Ceticos con Vox. Oh, sounds (laughs) nice. (laughs) Yeah, Vox is the name of the cafe that we get together when we are in Lisbon. Oh. So, and it's also a an aim game with uh, voice, because Vox It has to do with voice, so it's, oh, so uh, skeptic- it's the skeptical voice. The skeptical uh, voice, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: okay, great. In the
3: out. And we started doing it in Lisbon. Uh, uh, the year later, we started doing it, doing it also in Porto, so now we alternate one month with do it in Porto, another month we do it in Lisbon, because it's the two uh, major cities in Portugal, and it's where we are mostly, it has to do with the, to the places where, where we live. So I'm in Porto and Leonor and João is in Lisbon. So we, we, we switch between the two, the two cities. That's mostly how it started. So we launched the website. We invited people that we knew that were related to the skeptical movement and we, from which we liked the way they wrote It was very important for us to have people that could write well and communicate well and had um, a nice temper with commenters. We didn't want to get into fights and back and forth. So we wanted to really just put out reliable information Mm -hmm. uh, with good sources and well researched. So that was the the beginning of concept. Later, uh, we started to, to do other, other stuff and now we have many, many different little projects. Can I ask you quickly
2: about the name, Comtep?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a, a mix of sceptical communities. So it's Comtep from uh, the word sceptic in Portuguese, which is Cético. Mm-hmm. Could, you,
0: could, you, could you tell us the full name of the organisation in Portuguese? In Portuguese,
3: Comunidade Cética Portuguesa. Oh,
1: okay. I love the Makes sound sense. of it. Sounds delicious.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so it comes from there. It was actually a friend of ours that came up with, with the name because there used to be a Portuguese sceptical organisation that never really set off. So they, they had a the plan but never really put it into place. But we really didn't like the name. The name was, in English, it was skepticals from, Skeptics from Portugal. Uh, but in Portuguese, the short name of it means log because it's (laughs) a sepo. Wow. And sepo, it means like a woodlock. So (laughs) (laughs) we didn't really like it to have that name associated with us. So we we were trying to come up with um, another name and a friend of ours on uh, one one of the Facebook groups that we were on came up with with the idea of concept. And we really liked the sound of the the short name and, and, and the name, the Portuguese skeptic community. I think it's... It's fine.
0: (laughs) It is nice. And it it, it has it it translates to to some kind of a a friendly environment. Uh, So so. it really sends the message that uh, we are here and we are a community. We're not we're not just a bunch of people in a secret organization. We we are. Everything we
3: do is out in the open. It's free entrance. It's Uh, lately we've been asking people to to make um, an inscription of if they are participating or not but it's just to have a notion of how many people we're going to have in a certain event because everything we do is free Uh, we always try to do it and i i hope that we can keep on doing it so that everyone can participate without any sort of constraints besides time and location
2: Mm. what kind of events do you put on
3: so besides the ones that we do monthly, uh, the, the, those uh, informal gatherings that we do, mm. sort of like Skeptics in the Pub, but we do it in the afternoon. So it's more like Skeptics in the Café, mm-hmm. um, where we try to, to select different topics to discuss in every month and to have a guest to, to help us discuss those topics. And then we have a, our major annual event. It's ConceptCon. Um, which we do every year in November. And we started that uh, on 2012, on the year that we, we started Concept. The first two years, we did it in a small village by the sea called Nazaré, uh, because the, the public library there um, gave us the, the auditorium to do, to do that event. And one of our, our, our collaborators, our writers, Claudio, is from the region, So the first two years we did it there and it was great. The first year we had no idea how it was going to go. We didn't know if we would have audience or not. It was a a big leap for us. But surprisingly, we had almost a full room with many local people that we didn't know in, uh, in any way. So people just found it was interesting and came along, which was very, very good for us. Unfortunately, that public library has had some serious uh, funding cuts and currently is not opening on the weekends, so we cannot do our concept con there anymore. And this year in November, we did it again. We did it in Porto on, a, on a, uh, the auditorium of a, of a municipal museum called Casa do Infante. So it's the, the house where one of our past kings were, were born and it's a local museum and it has a very nice auditorium and the city hall was was graceful enough to to let us use the auditorium to do it there and it was quite fun we did it we talked with you i'm sorry you talked about it on on one of the latest yes, episodes we did. <laughs> yeah on the nihilism uh, it was very very good i'm we're very pleased with the result this year the speakers were very nice very nice questions and we were on time, on schedule, which was very nice. I think it was a um, a theme, a topic that attracted a lot of different people because we talked about vaccines, we talked about the Holocaust, history. So it was very different topics, but all connected by the nihilism
0: aspect. And how many people are we talking about? Uh, in uh, terms this of year out?
3: we had about 60 people.
0: Wow, that's not bad.
3: In the audience, Yeah. It was it was very very nice.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, um, but do you, do you get very good turnout for the for the skeptics in the pub events as well?
3: It depends. It varies quite a lot from month to month. Uh, but usually uh, between 15, 20 people.
0: Ah, oh, okay. That's, I think twenty was the
3: most we had once. Yeah, because we try that everyone can participate and speak. So if this starts to be too big. We'll have to change the way we do it. Maybe we'll have to change the the plan of yeah. and turn it more into a sort of mini conference with a Q and A. Because right now we do it as a conversation, not as a as a conference sort of thing.
0: Uh, there is one thing I I've been meaning to ask you uh, about the 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 other skeptical group. Where are they? And uh, are you in contact with them, or uh, do you collaborate with
3: them? Yeah so some of them uh, the the, prom- the main promoter of that group we, we are in touch and, and he comes to our events the the group never never uh, never materialized so and many of them just come to our events so it's it's a good relationship no problem there so there isn't another group a skeptical organization like himself no. in Portugal No that we, that we know of there isn't
0: Any kind of uh, exciting uh, plans for the future
3: well this year we really want to formalize our organization so that we can do other type of, of activities and maybe some a bit bigger uh, events and um, with more formal settings um although i think we've we've done quite a lot as a, a an informal group of people that have a website and and write about science and skepticism and get together every month um, and we also have some, some plans for new, new types of activities. We're planning to uh, organize uh, more or less regularly visits to museums and science centers. And we, we did it a couple of times in the last few years. We did it uh, the, in, in our last event that was about Freemasonry. We organized a visit to the, to the Freemason Museum in Lisbon. And we want to do it more often, to, to organize visits to places related to science, to history, maybe even to politics, uh, in a, a skeptical um, environment, mm. so that we can di- then discuss what we've, what we've seen. What, uh, I think it, it's, it's one of the, the novelties for this year that we're trying to put in place. And maybe also some skeptical tours. Mm-hmm. I'll just sounds very it there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> just some ideas we are juggling for for the the new year. Yeah. And besides that, we have our monthly gatherings that we are setting in place. Um, the concept conference next next year that we are already thinking about it. And I cannot say much about it because we are still. In the very, very beginning of planning and thinking about the main subject and um, the, the guests that we may have as, a, as speakers.
1: Will it be in November?
3: It will be in November, probably in Porto um, next year. Uh, well, this year we are already in 2016. And then on the Saturday before Christen, Christmas, we'll do again our solstice conference.
0: How do you bring about certain topics? Are there many hot topics with special focus to uh, Portuguese people?
3: Yeah, here the, the topics that raise more comments and people coming to Facebook and having disagreements with us is our alternative medicine. I think that's a... Alternative uh, medicine. Mm. Yeah, alternative medicine always attracts attention. And vaccines related to that... Uh, it 's a subject that we we really really stress because it 's very very important for us vaccination and then there are some surprises um a few months ago, we did a um, one of our gatherings. We talked about conspiracy theories, and one of the conspiracy theories that we mentioned were were chemtrail. And for me, that was something so way out; I didn't have much interest. But then, uh, Joan, one of our one one of the co founders of Concept, uh, wrote a post about it, and the amount of comments and, and, and setbacks that we had with it, it was amazing for us because mm-hmm. we thought it was so outrageous and so unbelievable and people are really into it. So it was a very, very big surprise for us. And we have some fans that are always in touch with us talking about chemtrails and sending us links. So that was a, a surprise on our, on our path in skepticism,
1: oh, really. Yeah. Yeah, it, no, it's such a silly notion so that you, you, would, you wouldn't think that people take it seriously. But a lot of people do also here. Yeah,
3: yeah it's, it's impressive. It's and it really, can stir really up impressive.
1: huge emotions. Mm. Yep. Yeah.
3: We've been accused of everything regar- regarding <laughs> chemtrails we Corporate Chills, Were are Illuminati, we're the yeah, devil. Of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. Skepticals are all very, very rich, as we know. <laughs>
2: oh, absolutely. We're yeah. only for big pharma money, eh? And what about uh, GMO subject? Is that a big thing in uh, in Portugal?
3: Yeah, yeah, it is. That's also a, a hot topic. Uh, we did a, a conference on it la- on, la- on the 2014 ConceptCon. Uh, so the, the, the main subject were, was the four elements. So we were trying to go a little bit mystical. And regarding the element earth, uh, we invited a, a researcher on, that works on plant genetics. And he did a very, very good conference on plant genetics and on GMO. And I think it was very sober and clarifying. It's always a hot topic. Uh, especially now with the, the new EU uh, norms that allow countries to forbid or not GMOs. And in Portugal, there's a, a, a great ecological movement trying to, trying to get the government to forbid two core oh, yeah. uh, GMOs in Portugal.
0: Yeah. Mm. Uh, since you mentioned European levels, do you intend to collaborate with other uh, European organizations? Uh, when you, you finished materializing the organization itself, are you going to be applying for membership with EXO, the European Council of Skeptical yeah, Organizations? Sure,
3: of course, we'd love to. And we'd love to collaborate with people from other countries. Uh, we're also in touch with people from Spain and uh, it was very nice if we could do something together in the Iberian level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see yeah. that they have a very active skeptical community. Also, there are different organizations in Spain.
0: We would love to hear from them.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I know at least two, and I think they are national level two skeptical organizations in in Spain. I try to follow uh, on Twitter. And and we'd love to, of course, to to apply to EXO and to, to be able to do collaborative projects with people from other countries. That would be awesome. Yeah, great.
2: And Diana, do you think you'll be attending next year's QED? I, I, I keep saying next year's as well. It's actually <laughs> this year's QED. This
3: uh, year's. I will try to, but I've had a bit of uh, bad news in, at the end of 2015. So I'm out of a job right now. But I will, I really, really will try to go to QED. It's great. I love it. I've, yeah, I fingers there crossed for you. Yeah, yeah, I hope we yeah. can meet you there. Yeah, I yeah. was there the last two years and it's so, so nice. It's so much fun. I really love it. And yeah. that's, yeah. that's, that's
0: why we met you for the first time.
3: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, it was very, this year it was very nice. I, we met many more people than in the first year that we were very, very shy when we went there. <laughs> Me and yeah, you did a great
2: presentation at the Skeptic Camp. Mm-hmm.
3: Last year? Yep. Uh, that was really good. Yeah, the, f- the first year I went, I didn't know about Skeptic Camp. So I won't, I, we only arrived on Saturday. And, but this year we were aware of it. So we planned our trip so that we could be there on Friday. And it's so much fun. It's so cool.
1: Diana, I, I believe there is a prize that you give out uh, in Portugal as well. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, so we have a, a satirical prize that we call the Flying Unicorn. Uh, it's inspired in the Pegasus Prize from the James Randi Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we <laughs> we tried to come up with a with a n- mythical invented animal that we could do in Portuguese that sounded nice. So we came up with a flying unicorn because everyone knows that unicorns don't fly, of course. And we mm, gather uh, submissions for the, the the Flying Unicorn Prize throughout the year. So in 2016, we will award the prizes for uh, feats that were committed during 2015. And we have three categories, uh, one for um, the media and one for uh, TV personalities. And then uh, a mixed one that we call the Quixote uh, category. Which is all sorts, well, so all sorts of outrageous uh, the allegations or or the promotion of different pseudosciences. Yeah. So we and we we announce the 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 winners on the on April first. So on April. <laughs> 1st, I, uh, so. Good one. <laughs> yeah. So that's the 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 joking prize. But last year we awarded uh, or. Better saying, in 2014, for the first time, we awarded what we call the concept prize that rewarded someone that has fought for science uh, and reason uh, throughout their career. We've done done it only once. It's not supposed to be an annual award. Uh, We're going to do it when we feel that we should uh, pay an homage to someone that that have, has had a, an important uh, role in scepticism and in the promotion of science, reason, and criti- critical thinking. And our awardee was David Marsal, which is a Portuguese biochemist that, and a Portuguese author that has wrote several books on science and scepticism, and it's a very active sceptic in, in Portugal, uh, usually now invited for debates on, on on TV and has been debating a lot with homeopaths homeopaths this last year and so we, we thought that uh, we should uh, pay him this this honor we don't know when when we'll give the next one maybe this year maybe next but that's the uh, the serious award and the one that that we we really want to to put out there. The other one it's it's a, a bit of a joke, but it also serves to denounce bad science at, and to denounce uh, serious scientific allegations that are out there in the media in in television programs. In politics, in 2014, the, the award was granted to the Portuguese Parliament for passing the laws that uh, legalize and legitimize uh, alternative medicines. Mm. Uh, the award is, is, so we set up um, nominees and then it's the, our readers, our audience that votes the winners. So we don't, we don't choose the winners, it's, it's a democratic award. Mm. the concept award it's granted by us it's uh, it's the the person is chosen by by the team
0: you mentioned politics yeah i heard or i vaguely remember hearing about you and others like uh, joao as well Mm -hmm. i think uh, yeah. trying to get into politics—is that yeah, true? Yeah, we
3: we we are in politics. Yeah, I've scaled down my political activities uh, recently, but yeah, we were we we were candidates in the Portuguese general election 2015. Mm. Yeah, why I
0: why I think it's important to mention this is because uh, we often end up criticizing politicians uh, for their decisions and for what they stand up for. Um. Mm-hmm but we don't tend to really get into it ourselves uh, so that we try to become the ones who are in the process of decision-making. It's it's nice to see people uh, with uh, aspirations, uh, political aspirations as well, uh, from the skeptical side of uh, looking at things.
3: Yeah, Portugal was and is in a difficult situation, so uh, we sort of wanted to get involved and do something about it. And also from the point of view of skepticism, because as you say, we criticize, but then if we don't act politically, it's very hard to have a voice. But we got into a very small party that began in 2014, and we didn't elect anyone in this general election. So... Hmm. Our voice is still outside of the Portuguese parliament, for now.
0: For now, Um, yeah.
3: For now, yeah. (laughs) But being a left-wing, green party, we have within our party many discussions that relate to skepticism. Because, uh, as you may be aware, on the left-wing side of politics, there is uh, pretty much many people defending homeopathy, alternative healing, anti-GMO. So... We're fighting the fight on that front also. You have on the one side stout defenders of climate change using science to to say that there is a climate change problem and you have to do something about it and we have, have to act polit- politically about it. But then, on the other hand, disregarding science in relation to GMOs, for example, with much misinformation, with uh, many problems interpreting scientific data, a lot of conspiracy thinking, and it's a contradiction, and I don't have an explanation for it, really.
2: Guys in Portugal, please get in touch with Diana and Concept. If people want to get in touch with you, where they can find you, uh, your, your Facebook page or website, etc. Or Twitter, I know that you're
3: on Twitter. Okay, so I would just like to say that Concept is not only me and the other two co-founders. We are about 10 people that uh, write and collaborate regularly with our, our organization. And I have to thank them for all their hep- help. We're all volunteers. We're not paid to do this. So we just do it on our free time. And because we like it and we we want to do something about it. Comcept.org. That's our website. And we're also on, on Facebook, uh, Comcept PT. And on Twitter with the same handle, Comcept PT. So it's very easy to find us and get in touch with us. We use all three platforms to to announce the events that we're doing, to put on the posts. We try to record all the conferences. So the, the conferences we had on ConceptCon are up on the site now, three of those, and the other ones will be very, very soon so that the message can be spread as wide as possible. Lovely.
0: Nice. Well, Diana Barbosa, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Yelana,
0: would you be so kind and enlighten us about yet another logical fallacy?
2: All right. So um, in this episode, I want to talk about the uh, definist fallacy, also known as persuasive definition fallacy. (sighs) It's when you're defining a term in such a way that makes one's position much easier to defend. Um, So A has definition X x is harmful to my argument therefore a has definition y and i just want to um uh use an use an example pardon me to to kind of describe it so before we argue about the truth of creationism let's define evolution as faith in the crackpot theory that is impossible to prove with certainty now of course the, we know what evolution actually means And this so-called definition, in inverted commas, isn't definition at all. And it's just um, somebody who would use it in the argument, who is hoping that people who he's arguing with doesn't have a clue about evolution or whatever.
0: So you're actually redefining an already defined thing. or Yeah, absolutely. So to to distort it to your own needs. Yeah,
2: that's exactly right. So there's a real definition of evolution that me and you and everybody... uh, Or or most people know. But then when somebody was trying to make an argument uh, for creationism, he or she might go, well, let's define evolution and let's pretend it's some sort of a a rubbish theory that never was proven whatever to work. And we would know that it's not right. And um, so we need to be careful of that. And we need to make sure that definitions that used by our opponents are real definitions. I know in this instance, we know it's definitely not a real one. <laughs> but sometimes they, they can be much trickier. And um, we shouldn't accept definitions put forth by the opponents, um, and unless we research it ourselves, especially if we're not sure about the word that they use. Uh, and to agree.
0: Normally, it's it's not about the lack of of research that uh, is the reason why people use a wrong definition. It's simply cheating. It's like. Yeah. Right mm-hmm. so it's it's not that they don't know what the real definition of evolution is at least this is my experience with the uh, creationists is that they do know very well what the real definition of evolution is they just don't want to accept it because because then they they would have to try and defend their own aspect with with that definition and that that's much more difficult
1: so defend their own faith yeah yeah so is is this is this the same as the strawman argument or not? I think what the difference is,
0: is uh, that in uh, the persuasive definition fallacy, you distort a kind of definition to fit your needs. In the strawman, you are actually making up one. Mm. But I think there is a very, a very narrow line between the two. Mm.
2: But they are two different fallacies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know what you mean, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Thank you very much, Ilana. It's time to move on to our second interview, this time with uh, Dario Taraborelli from the Wikimedia Foundation. This is András Pinter from the Hungarian Skeptic Society and uh, Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, reporting from a Wikipedia Science Conference in London. And uh, here with me is Dario Taraborelli, um, who's uh, from the Wikimedia Foundation and altmetrics.org. And uh, you just gave a very interesting talk on um, uh, the problems with citing and losing the provenance in the process. Um, Could you um, elaborate a bit on that? And uh, we might be discussing a few other things as well. Sure.
4: Thanks, Andreas, for having me. Um, Yeah, so the gist of uh, of my talk is really um, about uh, this issue that I've been noticing over the last uh, couple of months or or years where um, search engines are basically in uh, in an arms race to provide the most relevant information to the user, um, tailored to their needs, in many cases, in a short format on mobile interfaces. Um, And by doing so, uh, they accidentally, I guess, Strict information um, about the sources of this of, of this uh, of this knowledge, and um, given that you know, given where I come from, and given the the interest I have uh, in Wikipedia, both on a professional basis but also as a volunteer, um, seeing that the uh, the web is massively going towards a world where we have facts uh, that are provenance free, uh, makes me worried, um, and. This is not just, I guess, a, a threat for the web as a whole. Like uh, the uh, sort of like disappearance of the link as a mechanism that allows you to verify um, any kind of claim in its original context, moving from a site that is citing to the the original source. Um, but more specifically, I think it's a threat for, uh, for Wikipedia and the way in which it operates, which is basically uh, not providing the true... Uh, Answer to the word questions, but providing sources and making sure the information is verifiable uh, based on reliable sources. Uh, so this is basically the gist of, uh, of my of my talk, and uh, the second part is a proposal, basically, to build like the centralized repository of all human citations using Wikidata for for this purpose.
0: That sounded uh, intriguing back then, and it still sounds intriguing and and, and very important. Uh, I have to say because. Uh, being a skeptic myself uh, uh, that that is always what we what we try to to ask for and and to to fight for um, provenance and evidence and and not um, claims without being backed up by by proper references but there there, there have been lots of lots of talks um, that slightly uh, tapped on this, uh, but uh, yours was was the only one that had it as a central problem. Uh, what What's what's the best tool you see in tackling that problem?
4: Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't have the, the magic answer to the question, right? <laughs> so, we have a number of proposals um, in, in the pipeline. Like, uh, one of the numbers that I called out uh, is the uh, current rate uh, of sourcing of Wikidata statement. Um, so, up to 83% uh, of all statements in Wikidata. Wikidata has nearly 70 million uh, statements, as we speak, and up to 83% of the statements have uh, no source other uh, than Wikipedia, uh, and this is not optimal, obviously. Um, and so, figuring out how we can lower that rate of unsort statements and making sure that we can use directly references that can be trusted um, by whatever definition of uh, reliability of the source, I think is a, a well defined goal that the community should be working towards. Um, Again, I, I think that Wikipedia doesn't pretend to be uh, an authority, an academic authority that you would go to to find uh, an answer. But it should be really like, the, uh, the entry point uh, towards uh, the academic literature, towards uh, you know vetted sources out there uh, where you can go and form your opinion based on what experts are saying about any given topic. Um, so there's no magic answer to the, to the problem. Um, I think that uh, any effort directed at increasing the, the quality and the density of citations uh, and making sure that we have mechanisms for allowing uh, curation uh, around citations, specifically when we're looking at uh, the way in which citations are used for backing statements. So anything that can be... Uh, Support granular citation of statements, not like an article level or a section level, but I think the ability of uh, uh, supporting a community of curators uh, uh, at the statement or fact level um, and increasing the number of eyeballs that we have around sources um, sounds like a, a practical problem that can be tackled uh, in a number of ways. And we need to test and we to understand what works and what doesn't, right? There's no so silver is, uh, that we know in advance is going to work.
0: Yeah, but it has to be done as a community effort. Uh, that's for sure. And um, I see this conference a very useful opportunity to to discuss all all that and uh, I I hope many other um, conferences of this kind will follow. There's another topic you didn't discuss um, in your talk but we we had a a small chat about um, here before and that's uh, organizing these communities of, of editors because Of course, there is a large overall community of editors uh, around the world, but uh, those are separated into uh, smaller communities defined by the topic they work on, or just nationality or anything. And since we are running I Am Part of a a project that is an international project and it's being criticised on several occasions for being a bit secretive, uh, which is a bit of an exaggeration, especially being closed, but... um, Sometimes uh, having an outside forum for, for for our own communication could be a much effective way of communicating and, and organizing our work. But, of course, there are these wiki projects, um, like uh, one of my favorites is Wiki Project Medicine, which mm-hmm. is doing an amazing work. Yep. But do you think everything uh, happening on Wikipedia should be organized that
4: way? Right. So two things. I, I think you're right that doing this in the open is going to be uh, critical for... The existing community or communities uh to accept the fact that these are you know this is not just a uh a group of people were there to boycott the pro the project but uh this is a group of people with a very specific set of interests who want to learn how to uh contribute to wikipedia uh playing better roles right so i know for sure that anything that involves uh You know, private messaging or canvassing uh, that is not on Wikipedia is typically not very well received by the community and for a reason, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, So, this being said, there's a separate question, and that's uh, uh, the question as to whether this communication should happen on Wikipedia itself uh, if there are better spaces, better forums for hosting this conversation. And honestly, the answer is that, yeah, we know that uh, the infrastructure that supports wiki project uh, which we projects on Wikipedia is very poor right so um, the, the foundation is actually investing quite a lot of work into uh, quite a lot of effort into building better interfaces for um, you know hosting discussions we have flow so the new um, interface uh, to streamline uh, and support like facilitate uh, um, conversations specifically around wiki projects uh, that's uh, one of the use cases that uh, stood out as a um, as a high priority one but um the reality is that uh, uh the conversation around uh around wikipedia should not necessarily be constrained to wikipedia as a place where it happens um i've seen amazing conversations uh in even attempts to coordinate effort uh, uh, towards editing wikipedia on social media right and in fact uh, there's a group of people very interested uh in the role of uh social media bots for example for recruiting uh, like-minded potential contributors who care enough about the topic and who are experts in this area um, to see whether we could uh, engage them and, uh, and bring this expertise, which currently happens, currently manifests itself outside of Wikipedia, bring it to Wikipedia and get more people to contribute. And the the, the bottom line to this approach is um, is coming from the fact that I believe that. Um, Quality really is a result uh, of uh, uh, having more and more eyeballs, uh, actually representing like uh, different perspectives on, uh, um, on on Wikipedia, and uh, the we typically have problems uh, in areas where we don't have enough editors, like you said, uh, uh, curating articles, um, and where basically, you know, uh, some individual uh, opinion becomes the de facto content of an article lacking other people who may contribute and, and vet and, and and improve the content that these people are producing. So yes, I'm definitely like a big believer in the fact that uh, we should funnel more diverse communities and obviously there's a lot of effort into like, uh, activating women, to participate in Wikipedia. that's probably the most prominent example, right? Uh, we cannot have the... Uh, the largest collaborative encyclopedia on the planet, written only by male contributors. That's a no-brainer, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, um, that's something to think about. <laughs> and uh, I, hope, I hope it's going to be figured out by, by the community itself. And uh, I thank you for your time. Thank you, Andres. And uh, this has been Andres Pinter with uh, Dario Taraborelli. Thank you. Thank you again. Well, Pontus, I'm really eager to hear who's been really wrong lately.
1: So today's prize for being really wrong goes to two examples of pseudo-scientific bullshit gadgets. One is a hat to stop radiation, and the other is a speaker to insert into your body. What? The first item is something called Shield Signal Proof Headwear. A UK-based company behind the product, Shield Apparel, has just announced that they have successfully reached their Kickstarter campaign, They claim that their beanies and caps protect you from quote-unquote electromagnetic waves, as well as being quote antimicrobial, antibacterial, anti-odor, anti-radiation, and it protects your head. I guess the last, last claim is okay if you consider protecting you from cold. There's no reference to any studies and the only explanation given is that it consists of silver. Uh, There is of course no evidence that normal doses of electromagnetic radiation are very harmful, but even if it would be, how about radiation hitting your face and the rest of your body? Mm. It sounds like good material for Ask for Evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Uh, The second item is the baby pod, which is a small speaker that plays music for your unborn baby if you put it into your vagina. Now, no, yeah, it's true. Now, since I don't have a vagina myself, I have limited, but not zero, personal experience of the thing. I I do know, however, it is possible to put things up there uh, for, say, business or pleasure, but uh, I see no use for this product at all. There have, of course, been many dubious claims over the years about the benefit of exposing unborn babies to music. But uh, I think this is quite ridiculous. And also, I think this is potentially harmful as well. Perhaps for the baby, depending on what volume you use, but also how do you clean this device and make sure that you don't introduce bacteria and other stuff into the vagina.
0: Especially during pregnancy. Mm, Yeah, yeah.
1: That's even even more. more sensitive, yes. Yeah. So the price for this marvelous product is 150 euros.
2: Oh, we'll
1: take 10. Good. 150 euros. Euros. Just in case. It looks like a pretty cheap uh, thing anyway. So, what do you say about these two products? Down with them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think that the the problem with this, the the issue I have with this, is that they are trying to sound scientific without really uh, showing any evidence or any proof or any tests or any studies. Uh, yeah. yeah, or if they do, they are misusing and misrepresenting very early findings and maybe speculations, mm. uh, and they're running away and and commercializing things uh, long before uh, there is any proof. Yeah, that's 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 a very typical issue. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah,
2: it's exactly what uh, I was thinking. And
0: do you remember what I said about about uh, the EMA uh, executive director mm-hmm. saying that? regulating things uh, the, the the basis of regulating stuff before it gets commercialized mm. that's it that is something that, that the health industry
1: needs very bad mm. sure. yeah. the question is if this falls within the jurisdiction of the EMA I don't
0: know uh, because it's, it, it normally is about pharmaceutical uh, companies yes. I'm, I'm, and, and, I'm guessing and... uh, but this should really be regulated in some way mm. Um but apparently, what what they I don't know about other countries, uh, but in several countries the only thing that is needed is to be able to prove that it's not harmful.
1: Yeah. So yeah. so this is this is of course just uh, two examples of a, n- a number of products just like this. But uh, the shield beanie and the baby pod as representatives for pseudo scientific bullshit gadgets gets today's price for being really wrong.
0: Yeah, and of course, yeah, they can turn out to to work somehow to some extent, but still mm-hmm. commercializing it beforehand before getting the evidence that's that's bad. That's wrong. That's just simply wrong. All right. Um I think it's about time to get back to our great true or false segment. Mm-hmm. Elena, have you prepared something for us for today? I
2: have indeed. Um, all right, so I've got three items for you guys here. Here we go. Um, so the item number one is the residents of the Greek island of Lesbos have failed in court case to ban the use of the word lesbian being used to describe sexual attraction. Item number two, running very long distances can make your brain shrink. And item number three, scientists say that person's natural hair colour reveals information about...
1: Uh, his personality
2: mm. Wow Alright guys um, So he- here are three items And um, um, Andres would you like to go first?
0: Uh, yeah why not So the first one Residents of the Greek island of Lesbos Have failed in a court case to ban the use of the word lesbian Being used to describe sexual attraction between women Yeah why not So that's <laughs> That's hilarious, by the way. So, the, that move of actually taking this into court, that's that's amazing. Um, number second, running very low distances can make your brain shrink. I don't know. Number three, scientists say that person's natural hair color reveals information about personality. Okay, if I have to choose, because the first one I can definitely buy. The second and the third... Um, number three seems to me absolutely bogus Um, it's I don't see how that could tell anything about your personality uh, what color your hair is Uh, it's absolutely counterintuitive uh, but not just like that I don't see any way that it could affect your personality um, other than being mocked for for being a ginger or, or anything so it's uh so running very long long distances can make your brain shrink. I, yeah, I could I could I could live with that. So uh this is this is why I'm not running long distances. I'm not running at all. So it's um because because I'm afraid that my brain will shrink. I that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say number three is the false. <laughs> Scientists say that person's natural hair color reveals information about personality that is, to
1: me, really,
0: absolutely bullshit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh,
1: what about you? Yeah, okay. Uh Looking at the first one, Lesbos Islanders, uh they lose the court co- course. Sorry. Well, the first one, uh, the Lesbos Islanders lose uh, the court case. I can't believe that. I can't believe that they went to court, and I can also believe that they lost. No problem there. Running very sh- long distances... Uh, I'll come back to that. the third item scientists say that person's natural hair color reveals information about personality. This is something I've heard before, and it might be a myth, but I've heard about redheads that uh, or uh, is that a politically correct term redhead you say you say ginger, ginger. <laughs>
2: Only the ginger can call another ginger ginger. Oh yeah, ginger, ginger. <laughs>
1: Da-da-da. So, <laughs> yeah, so, ninja. but oh, if, you're, if you're if you have a red hair color, I've heard that that has uh, it. It's due to the same. There is something that makes you think faster, that makes your head red or hair red, and your brain think faster as well. It could be bullshit, but I'll I'm gonna just take a chance that that's true. So I'm going to go for that running very long distances cannot make your brain shrink.
0: Um, can I say something mm-hmm.
3: that yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: I okay. do know that uh, albinism, for example, it has um, effects on other functions of your body as well. So there are a couple genes that can cause things like that, diminishing certain capabilities. But that statement to me looks like a very general statement. So it could be just a wording of the statement itself that that, that deceives me but uh, I still I still cling to my 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 original choice.
2: All right guys. Well I'll I'll take them in order because there is no consensus. So, the first item, and uh, (coughs) the uh, Lesbos Islanders lose lesbian ban court case. So, this is a true item, indeed. Um, (laughs) This item, uh, well, or or this uh, article was published in 2008, so a few years ago, uh, and the residents appeal to a court in Athens to ban the word lesbians, claiming that uh, as the island's inhabitants, they were the only true lesbians. (laughs) Which is true. (laughs) <laughs> and they have and they have lost, um, unfortunately. And uh, th- there's a quote uh, in the article saying today's decision is unacceptable and an insult to the people of Lesbos and their 3,000-year-long history.
0: I, I understand their problem, but they have to accept that the very word lesbian that is applied to same-sex attractions between women comes from the Greek poets suffer from lesbos, so I don't understand uh, why should it be unacceptable for the people yeah. of lesbos it,
2: uh, and
1: also there's an assumption here that it's something wrong
2: yeah, and this is one of yeah. the th- one of the things in the article said that um, the court ruled that the world uh, the word lesbian and it's adopted like you said Greek. Um, an international sexual context does not offend or threaten the individual, um, collective, or human rights uh, of the island's residents. So there is nothing wrong with the word, it, does, it shouldn't offend people. There you know, you go. so. I'm
0: gonna have to check if Wikipedia has a disambiguation page for that. Yeah, lesbian disambiguation. Lesbian Greek dialect and Aeolic Greek, an inhabitant of Lesbos. So Wikipedia gets it right. Wikipedia is the way to do things. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on.
2: <laughs> All right. So, item number two: uh, running very long distances can make your brain shrink. This is uh, the item that actually is, in fact, true. Ah. Um,
0: and <laughs> when I was
2: researching this article, I thought, "Nah, that can't be right. It, th- they might mean something else. They must mean something else. You know, it th- can't be true." But basically, when I, I read on, I, I realized this: we're talking about Long distances. Not 5K, not 10K, not even a marathon. We're talking about 4,500 kilometers over 64 days. That's oh. a long chuffing distance um basically what happened was the um there was a running um marathon uh, it's like a world challenge ultra marathon uh that took place um in 2009 called trans europe foot race and uh it involved running from italy to norway as i said 4500 kilometers over 64 days and uh there were 44 runners and this, the researchers jumped on the case and they thought, right, we're going to you know, study those people and see, measure them and, and see how they do. Of course, they didn't run non-stop, but they ran f- uh, every single day. And basically what they found is, apart from the fact obviously it affects the, the cartilage and stuff like that, um, extraordinarily, they also found the runner's brain shrink as much as 6% by the end of the race. And exercise uh, is considered to be beneficial to the brain. <laughs> a uh, staving of depression and dementia and a shrinking brain is not generally considered a good thing mm. like we all know uh, but uh, the own researchers are not sure yet why the brain shrinks after the long distance runs uh, but it might simply be a result of extreme fatigue and poor nourishment um, and uh, among the ultra marathoners uh, the area of the brain that shrunk the most is involved in visual processing so the lack of stimulation simply looking at the road for sixty four days straight may have something to do with it. Wow. Um, and it could also be the result of coping mechanism to reroute valuable energy to parts of body that needed more more. So there we go. Mm. It's a true item. Yeah. So everything yeah, everything in moderation
1: amazing. except moderation.
0: How many people were were involved? 44 runners. 44 runners, okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know what you said, Andrish, about not running, and but really, 4,500 kilometers, nobody should be running that much. I mean, uh, I was like reading, thinking, these 44 people are pretty crazy, really.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's amazing, really. Uh, so, this is not I the mean, reason why I'm not running. No. <laughs> well, I, think
2: I, I can guess why <laughs>
0: It's just good old laziness you
2: know? Yeah, yeah Alright guys, so and then of course Item number three, the scientist uh, said that the person natural hair color reveals information about personality is a fake item however it is based on um, true item, I, I, I don't want to say true because I am not particularly convinced because it was very uh, foggy to begin with but that says scientists say you're eye colour reveals information about your personality Mm. and so basically they're saying the scientists um, in Sweden Orib University studied 428 subjects to see if their personalities were linked to irises in their eye and they found that our eye colour is affected by some genes that form our frontal lobes Thus, there are distinctly uh, shared behaviours in people with similar irises Um, and so basically they do indeed say that, that the eyes are uh, the mirrors of your soul, the windows into your soul and so they, they do reflect some of your personalities. But then I changed it slightly to, to talk about the hair colour because we know about stereotypes, etc. You know, ginger blonde, whatever. <laughs> and um, hoping that one of you will fall into my trap. I did. And, uh, one I of mean- you indeed did. did. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Mm.
0: Nice trap. Alright. Good. Alright, so yeah, it was fun. Thank you very much, Yelena, for preparing this Segment, and um, I think it falls down to you to finish the the episode with a nice quote.
2: All right, I will finish today's episode with a a quote from Bertrand Russell. Science can teach us, and I think our own hearts can teach us, no longer to look around for imaginary supports, no longer to invent allies in the sky. But rather to look through our own efforts here below to make this world a fit place to live in instead. There you
0: go. That's heartwarmingly beautiful.
2: It's lovely. Yeah,
0: yeah it is. So Yalana and Pontus, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks uh, Andres
2: very much. It's been fun as always and Pontus.
0: Thank you very much. See you again next time. Oh bye talk bye. to you. Bye. Bye bye. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage, esp.edu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook.
1: See us, you, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wait for your turn, Dylan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're too eager
0: to say it. And joining me for the show are... Fuck. <laughs> 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 ah. <laughs> i just say the
1: whole thing. Oh, Jesus Christ. He want help. Don't call for his help. Jay Novella from Skeptic's Guide from the Universe. Ah, for hell of it, this <laughs> is... <laughs> so, um,
0: Yelena, please enlighten a bus. <laughs> what was it that? Set light to the bus. Just setting it is set fire to oh my. Sorry,
2: sorry, Pontus. I thought you were going to say vagina. I, I, alwa- I always it.
1: want to say vagina, but it'll come. So.
2: <laughs> oh my God, this is
0: gold. Oh my God, oh my God.